This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today I'm excited to welcome in my colleague, Sarah Gardner, our new Vice President of Communications, and Susie Anders, owner of Anders Art Conservation, LLC, to discuss the Foundation's focus on art restoration. Susie has partnered with the Foundation since 2020 and has been conserving three-dimensional objects and sculpture for over 20 years. Since our partnership began, she has completed eight restoration projects with us, including Marcha de Galvez Fountain in downtown Baton Rouge and the head of Oliver Pollock. Keep listening to learn more about the work that Sarah and Susie have been spearheading since 2020. Susie and Sarah, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. So, Susie, I'd love to start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you got into conservation work in art and how you actually got to Louisiana, because I think that story is really fascinating. Sure. I got into conservation through fine art. I went to art school and eventually became really enamored with the processes of making art rather than the final output in terms of my own role in art making. And I was working for a gallery in New York and saw Restore come in and restore a lot of artworks in the gallery and kind of fell in love with that process, watching him do that process. And I eventually went to work for him and realized that In the United States, a conservator needs a graduate degree to work for museums, so I ended up going down that path and went to graduate school, Buffalo State College, which has a great art conservation program and majoring in objects conservation. What brought you, so you came to Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina, what what sort of inspired you to, to come here to the state? So I was finishing up my third year internship from graduate school in art conservation, working in New York, and... The institution I was working at received a call that there was an immediate need that so many artifacts from Hurricane Katrina had just been really damaged through Katrina and its aftermath, and there was a lack of conservators in the area to help with the situation, particularly with Southern University. So Southern University New Orleans had about 700 African artifacts that needed triage and conservation. So I ended up moving down here for two years and a project funded by the Getty and FEMA to help um, that institution rehouse, triage, clean the artifacts damaged in Katrina. And that's what brought me down here. For our audience, break down for us, what does an art conservationist do exactly? The role of an art conservator draws from three different disciplines, art history, fine art, and science. And our job, number one job, is to preserve the art and artifacts, cultural artifacts that are important um, to our current culture and for the future, for future generations. So generally, we try and start with the least interventive intervention methods mm-hmm. and making sure what we do is reversible and documented for the future because we're always aware that technologies and approaches change in the future, but we also want to allow the public now to enjoy the artwork that we are lucky enough to have, so to be good stewards of the work that, is, um, that surrounds us now. Now, Sarah, for your uh, recent uh, change in roles at the, the Baton Rouge Area Foundation to be our new head of communications, you, you were actually on our civic leadership team, and you were focused on art restoration as a project. Maybe just describe a little bit for our listeners your work within our civic leadership team and how art restoration 
even got on the radar for the Baton Rouge Area Foundation. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So you mentioned art was one of my projects, but that was really a slate of um, multiple initiatives that I worked on with a four-member team. And overall, we said that they applied to quality of life and how that manifested itself could vary. And oftentimes it was about expanding access to healthcare or transportation alternatives. And art came up as one of those. So art inherently to me is a quality of life issue. We need to know that we care about the place that we live and that we deserve nice things. And public art is an immediate through line to that, Mm -hmm. right? If you have free and publicly accessible art in your community, you're ultimately going to enrich the lives of those who live there. And there was a period of time in Baton Rouge where a lot of folks wanted to get public art here, but oftentimes folks will raise money or start initiatives to ensure that the artwork gets implemented and installed, but there isn't necessarily a plan for upkeep, restoration, or maintenance. And much like a vehicle, this artwork also needs some regular love and care. And we had noticed that a number of pieces around the community had fallen into states of disrepair, and we felt that it might be perpetuating some of the commentary that maybe Baton Rouge isn't a great place to live, or downtown is dying, or there are other aspects about why Baton Rouge wasn't great in the eyes of our residents. And we know that there's a lot to be excited about in our community, and public art is a really easy way to restore that and ensure that people are excited about coming to our city, living in our city, and interacting with something that's free and publicly available. So we, we put a stake in downtown Baton Rouge. The first project uh, was the restoration of Martin Luther King Jr. sculpture. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that got on the radar and, and what did that first sort of project look like? Absolutely. So Martin Luther King Monument is by a New Orleans-based artist, Arthur Silverman, who is no longer with us. But he was commissioned to create this, selected from hundreds of artists. There was a big to-do. And then once the art was installed, nothing happened. And over years and years, this is a a 21-foot tall metal sculpture, and it's painted on the outside. And without a clear plan for restoration... The city meant well, but as it fell into disrepair, maybe someone from the maintenance department would come out and put a layer of paint on it that they thought kind of matched the paint that was there. And and over time, uh, this paint color evolved, and it was slightly different each time someone from the maintenance department came out and painted it. And ultimately, you could see that there were roller marks all across it. The metal had corroded. There was no clear exterior coating and as you know, as our CEO, we do a lot of partnership with our municipal partners. We have meetings at City Hall. We have meetings at other places around town. And as we're walking to and from these meetings, because our office is located downtown, we would walk past this and could see with our own eyes the state of disrepair that it had fallen in. So under the leadership of John Spain, we connected with the Downtown Development District and the Arts Council of Baton Rouge and said, hey, this is right in our backyard. Is there any chance that you guys would like to collaborate on restoring this and repairing this? Uh, It was initially supported with with private donations from corporate companies and their donor bricks all in front of this monument. So I literally went and took pictures and figured out who all of our private and corporate donors were. And we reached out and asked them if they'd be interested in supporting this restoration. And everyone was on board with it. So we were very excited to have DDD and Arts Council as some of our project partners with corporate sponsors to support this restoration. And that process really started in late 2019. But as you guys know, COVID slowed things down a little bit. But once we were able to get going again, the Arts Council recommended Susie work with us as our restorationist. So we were very excited to get to bring her in the fold. And we went through a pretty thorough evaluation process where Arts Council had to approve it. And then we had to take it to the Metro Council because it is their property. Metro Council approved the process. We signed a cooperative endeavor agreement with the mayor and her administration. And then in early 20. 
21, right? Early 2021, we were able to conduct that restoration and have a nice rededication ceremony with our community. In that sculpture, that monument, I mean, it is night and day when you compare the before and after pictures. What, what was sort of starting on that first project? Did you have any ideas, Susie, that there would be now eight more that we've done together? What, what was sort of your, your thinking about your involvement in a very focused, place-based restoration set of activities? Oh, gosh. Well, it was an absolute thrill to be part of this restoration project. I mean, incredibly gratifying, incredibly complicated. I think there's always variables when working with outdoor sculpture, weather, um, unforeseen, in all the unknowns, because you don't really get a chance to inspect the sculpture until you start the process and get to know it. I think and it had been overpainted four or five times, so we also know that the community would be a bit shocked by the restoration, but we so much of the project involved research. What did the artist originally intend for the piece to look like? A lot of excavation down to the original colors, which were actually present and intact to some degree. And I think the sculpture found itself in a situation not unlike so many in the U.S., where... Like Sarah said, so much money is poured into the actual installation, but not many people 20, 25 years ago thought about um, maintenance. So this just this project led a great opportunity to research the artist's original intent, really develop a plan and a lot of collaboration with local paint company, Blasting. We took it all the way down to its bare metal, which was needed. There was just no way to create a smooth surface, mm. as was intended, without doing so. How to do that responsibly without damaging the underlying metal. And then picking an ultimate top coat and um, paint coat that would be durable, honor and reflective of the artist's original intentions, and one that would last. So all of these kind of, and do it ethically with conservation, you know, ethics using the best practices that we know of. So all of these variables floating around took a while to formulate a plan and eventually implement. And then we also had the interesting and a slightly challenging problem of the weather, which <laughs> went from, I think, you know, 25 degrees to 80 degrees during the project. Oh, so, wow. And some high wind gusts which in the um, in the area. But all, all in all, it, you know, it was an incredibly successful project, one I'm really proud of and feel lucky to be, you know, involved with and just so grateful for everyone who collaborated for BRAF or spearheading, you know, the, um, the project, which so greatly was needed. Well, then the two of you really then began your march towards other projects. It's been such a delight for me this this first year at, at BRAF watching Sarah in particular, you know, sort of identify the next set of projects that are needed. So Sarah, talk us through how did you begin to assess and survey all the, the different needs in our community and how did y'all decide the next set of projects you would take on? So after we did complete the Martin Luther King restoration, we conducted an assessment of ultimately 25 works of art around the city. And we really had two primary sources of how we identified which works were going to make it on to this restoration needs report. One, what the works that we knew about that we had seen around town that we had started to notice. I know I personally hadn't paid much attention to public art that was available in, in the spaces that we already inhabited. And so as I walked around in my daily life, figured out, you know, where is there public art that we may not have paid as much attention to before? And the second is that a public art walking tour guide actually already existed. It was uh, designed on contract by one of our former art directors. And so we knew about this because she had happened to have designed this in her free time. Hmm. And it was commissioned by um, the Department of Tourism. And it outlined within downtown Baton Rouge and a little bit into Southern and LSU, some public art that's available for folks to see, either residents, tourists, 
anybody who really was interested and could access it on foot. And so we evaluated that list to determine some works that could be in need of assistance or just that we knew about. We did narrow things down because Susie's specialty is in three-dimensional works. We kind of cleared out anything that was 2D or that might not necessarily be within Susie's field of specialty because we already had this established partnership with her Mm -hmm. and knew that that was her field of expertise. Uh, And that's how we found our 25. Uh, We have restored eight to date. And when we went back to the council earlier this year in 2022 to ask for permission to restore more works, we did not include all 25 on that list. What we did is we narrowed it down to those that were owned by the city. You can't necessarily just go onto somebody's property and start restoring art. Generally frowned upon. Right? As good as your intentions are, you need permission to do those things. And uh, we knew that we already had that through line and that opportunity with the city where they saw the great work that we were able to do in conjunction with Susie for MLK. And they had great faith in us that Susie would restore those to the best of her ability with artist intent in mind. What I think is interesting about the artwork that we ultimately decided to ask permission to pursue is they are bronze focused for the most part but the first two and you mentioned this in our intro ahead of Oliver Pollock and Marcia de Galvez were by an artist named Frank Hayden who was a notable professor and teacher at Southern University he still has family in town absolutely visionary and then some of the other works were by a gentleman named Ivan Mestrovic who's a Croatian sculptor and he actually was mentor to Frank Hayden so it's really neat to have that duality of pieces here that they're in the same medium but you can see the influences that each had on the other and it's this nice connection and through line between the pieces of art that we ultimately chose to restore and and all right downtown that you can you can see and and experience now this this bronze work in particular Susie I'm I'm way out of field here but my understanding it incredibly complex in restoring that work and you had the opportunity to partner with uh, some others some really unique kind of techniques in doing that could you for people like me, the sort of lay listener here, help us understand how complex restoring those bronze pieces were and and, um, really how we were on kind of the cutting edge of the restoration world and what we were doing here with those those particular pieces. Sure. Bronze works, outdoor bronze works, I should say, are complex because there's a variety of corrosion products present. It's hard to know exactly what's going on until you get up close, really examine, look at the patterns of corrosion, um, research artist's intent, what was the original patina, what did it look like, um, how did the artist feel about his, his or her piece aging, and at what point do the elements, um, corrosive rain, for example, acidic rain, which you see that kind of characteristic green streaking mm-hmm. down a lot of brown bronzes, at what point does that become aesthetically distracting and how to step in, how much to step in. There's different techniques one can can apply to address these problems, but so much of the research and time is spent on deciding which approach to take. So with the head of Oliver Pollock, for example, we decided once we actually got up there with the lift, and I partnered with Andrew Baxter, who is just one of the most respected metal conservators in the U.S. We were so lucky to have him come down, and he actually restored the piece in 1999 and have his memory and his experience was just invaluable. So we actually found a lot of the original patina was intact, and we didn't need to blast it, that we were able to work with what we had Mm -hmm. to bring it back to life. But in some situations, the patina is too far gone. Um, and you do require more invasive methods such as sandblasting and actually re, you know, applying a new patina. 
But we were so fortunate in the pieces I've worked on thus far that that's kind of invasive steps, which are somewhat controversial, were not necessary. So we were able to resurrect the kind of artist original intention, these beautiful kind of brown, rich, luscious uh, appearances without having to introduce invasive measures. It's been really satisfying and pretty dramatic, as you can see um, from the beginning, uh, before and after images. Now, we have obviously now, I think, because of y'all's leadership, taken on uh, restoring some of these pieces. There's still many more to go in the community. What's been important in this process to try to make sure that this isn't a one-off kind of activity, that this is something that we begin to really value and understand that it's a restoration is a normal and needs to be a regular process? How, how should we as citizens, how should the city be thinking about this and what, what's being done about it? We've been doing our best to share the news about this and make sure that the work isn't being done in secret and that folks are able to acknowledge that this work has been done and also appreciate the work has been done because once you see it, appreciate it, love it, you're going to be a little more invested in it and the outcome and making sure that it doesn't fall into the same state of disrepair, right? So we've done a little bit of a listening tour. We've talked to DDD and provided at their regular meetings some updates to the general public, to business owners, and we've been keeping all of our project partners up to date. So the library has been great about helping us find research and we've actually stored specifically with MLK but also with all of our subsequent restorations, we've provided them with all of our restoration reports so that they're on file, they're part of the library archives, and they can be part of history forever for anyone in the public who wants to access them. And then we've continued to work with the Downtown Development District, Arts Council, and City Parish to ensure that they're involved in what's going on and engaged. And, you know, we were able to support our first restorations through corporate and private philanthropy. We had a couple of donors at the foundation who stepped up and really supported this work, in addition to the corporate donors for Martin Luther King. But we've petitioned the city for an additional allocation in the budget, which has never existed before, specifically for the maintenance and upkeep of public art. Mm -hmm. And it's in the budget tentatively. We're hoping that once the city votes on the budget later, that it will be part of the city parish budget moving forward so that it really is institutionalized as a priority for our city and for the citizens of our community. And this will go ultimately to the Arts Council to help oversee and make sure there's a regular program for uh, maintaining these great pieces uh, throughout our community. That's right, Chris. And what's interesting is that through something called the Art and Public Places Advisory Committee, the Arts Council is responsible for keeping a regular list of all the art that's in our parish, and that includes 2D as well. So while we did have a focus on 3D, this is funding that will help support the remaining 19 pieces of art on our restoration list in addition to other 2D works that we might not be as aware of. So I think it's really going to have a big ripple effect in our city. Susie, from your perspective, I mean, somebody who, you know, moved here following um, a great disaster and a need for this, you, you've obviously now made a, a home and a life and have uh, been part of, you know, transforming uh, physical spaces that, that mean so much to all of us. What, what excites you about the future of, of this community and, uh, in particular, the sort of continuation of your work here? Gosh, I think seeing the public's reaction to the restored sculptures. I mean, it's something that you can walk by an unsightly kind of forgotten about sculpture and almost forget it's there. But the discussions I've had with walking groups, you know, kids, workers, just everyone, the delight that I think artwork, outdoor artwork, well cared for and well kept brings to a community is invaluable. I think the annual maintenance required is quite minor financially compared to the alternative of waiting 10, 15 years for a major restoration, 
it's so worth it. It's also our responsibility, I think, just as a community to care for the sculptures that we're so lucky to have, especially, as Sarah mentioned, with the Mestrovic and Haydens. Baton Rouge is so lucky to have these works. And to bring them to life, I think, brings life to the community in a way, a visual sense of um, creativity that is something that just cannot be measured you know so it's it's just something so worth doing many communities are starting to invest in maintenance annual maintenance of outdoor sculpture realizing it's not only cost effective but that the um, benefits to the community are just immeasurable are enormous and you know i think it's uh, certainly i'm proud to be a part of an organization that really saw its role here to shine a light to inspire and and raise resources to to motivate some kind of change and, and frankly a much more kind of permanent and regular maintenance of these great works. Sarah, I, I, before we close out, I'd love kind of similar conversation. A lot of people may not know you're not from Baton Rouge, but you've chosen to be part of this community. What, what excites you about the future? Yeah, I really didn't expect to stay in Baton Rouge. I moved here to go to LSU and get my master's degree. And when I had the opportunity to work at the foundation and plug in with folks who were so invested in making sure that we had a chance to expand opportunity in Baton Rouge and make sure that it was a place that people wanted to live, you know, you and I, Chris, both know that there are great things here and we're excited about the work at the foundation. And I think especially in my new role in communications, I'm looking forward to elevating a sense of civic pride. We have a lot to be excited about. We have great music festivals, great food, great culture. You know, it's just something that as much as I love Tennessee, it's not the same. You know, it's definitely elevated. I'm excited to continue to stay plugged into this community and help share those messages through the foundation. Well, we are lucky to have both of you as part of our community. I, I can't thank uh, you, Susie and Sarah, enough for joining us on this episode of The Pod. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. For more information about Susie and her work, please visit AndersArtConservation.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, ideas, and people making Baton Rouge a better place. Until next time. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at braf.org and become a member today.